turning God's Word together tonight to Proverbs chapter 1. On page 527 in the Bibles there are before you. Proverbs chapter 1, as we continue looking at that biblical theme, the fear of God. There'll be some overlap from our last sermon, and I want to remind us again of the importance of the fear of God before we get into uh, why God is to be uh, feared and, and who God is. We're going to be looking more at that as we, we move forward in our series and then what a change that it makes in us. Tonight, just looking at that theme again of the fear of God, trying to define that, understand that. Direct you to Proverbs chapter 1 as we read God's Word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. Dear people of God, we're looking at that major theme, the fear of God. It is very unpopular today, and yet as Christians, we are to be known as those who fear God. We're made in his image and his likeness, and that means in part that we are to uh, glory in God as much as God glories in himself, that we are to delight in his word as much as he delights in truth. God is the eternal, self-existent creator of all things, the source of all truth. Therefore, we must look to him to understand the world, to understand how we are to live. Truly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we don't begin with him, if he's not our foundation, the beginning and the end of all knowledge, we will have no idea who we are and why we're here. To look a bit at the uh, definition of the fear of God, I'm, I'm turning to Malachi chapter 3. As we look at, uh, as we hear these words from, from Malachi chapter 3, what we're recognizing here is... Um, People of God have turned away from the Lord. They've been restored. They should be re, uh, resounding in praise towards God. The Lord has delivered them from exile, and yet they are not praising God. They're walking in their own ways. They're going in their own direction, and the Lord has a word against them, and this is a word against all those who would, who would uh, not fear him, who would not uh, reverence him and his name. They... Uh, uh, a charge comes from the Lord because of their waywardness. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. And then he, say, he responds to what he's hearing, But you say, How have we spoken against you? And he said, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. 
Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is what they're seeing. This is, they're, they're looking around, observing, and they're saying the, the arrogant are blessed. The evildoers not only prosper, they put God to the test and they escape. And it, doesn't it seem that way today when we look around and we think, what's the, what's the purpose? What's the value in living godly lives? And in submitting to God, we see the wicked and they seem to prosper. The psalmist says, as we saw tonight, Psalm 59, let the, let the wicked be brought down, but but do not let us miss the point that wickedness is not the way to life. Many in Israel had a real problem with God and the way he was ruling the universe, and they looked about and questioned whether his way was truly wise. But then we get, in verse 16, this statement that there were those who feared the Lord. Listen to what it says there. Verse 16, Malachi 3, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out, leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There is reason to fear God. He is one who will come in judgment and who will destroy all wickedness. But I want to back up and, and, and look just for a moment at the, that other, the, the, the further aspect of the fear of God. Those who feared the Lord, verse 16, were those said to esteem his name. They feared God and held him in high regard and, and they wrote a book of remembrance. They held before them what God had said and they wanted then to keep it in mind, writing it before them so that they might not forget. And the Lord says this through the prophet Isaiah, this is the one whom I esteem or whom I look upon. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And that is affirmed here in Malachi. He says, the one who who is uh, fearing me, the one who hears my word, will note the distinction between the righteous and the wicked in that coming day. A fundamental cause of the downward spiral of our world today is the lack of the fear of God. There's no respect for him. There's no no concern, no desire to obey him. The writer of Proverbs says the beginning, the beginning of all understanding, of all knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's the ground level for any right understanding, for every right attitude in living. There's very little of that today. We have so many who say, well, I, what do I need the Lord for? I have all the information that I need on the internet. I can look there and, and find answers to all my questions, and we think we've got all this, this knowledge, and yet we are not those who are wise. We're woefully uh, short of wisdom. We don't understand 
the way God has made the world and how we are to live uh, in it. The constant stream of information coming to us day after day. And there's stories that are posted all over the internet trying to convince us that, well, we used to live in that way and think about things in that way, but, but now we have a, a better way. We have to reject that old way. We tell ourselves we're, we're wiser today, but taking in more information doesn't make a person wiser. Taking in more facts doesn't even make one more knowledgeable about the world and about our present and future existence. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 6. As we think further about what it means to fear the Lord, it means to look to him. It it means to listen to him. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. There the Lord says through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set a watchman over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. Know what's required in here in this verse. Know what's, what's talked about here. It's a humility. It's a, it's a looking and saying, Lord, what are those ways? What way should we go? There's a humility that's required before the Lord that he would direct us. We're warned not to be wise in our own eyes from the writer of Proverbs, but to fear the Lord and to turn from evil. Fearing God means turning from what he tells us is evil and turning to what he says is good. It means not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging his word. So the Bible speaks of the fear of God as reverence to God, as submission to him, an acknowledgement that he made the world and shows us the way that we are to live in it. Indeed, God is one not to be trifled with, to be taken lightly. There is that element of fear of God, of, of the fear of, of judgment. And Jesus himself says you need to fear the one who puts body and soul in hell, who's able to, to put both body and soul in hell. He declares that if we reject him, we have every reason to fear terrible end. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for our God is a consuming fire. We can think of Nadab and Abihu, priests in Israel, took God's commands lightly, who were consumed before the altar of God. Calvin, in commenting on those words in in Romans 3, verse 18, that there's no fear of God before their eyes Uh, says that when a culture no longer fears God and his judgments, it runs into all kinds of wickedness. We see that. The heart of folly not to be afraid of God when there's reason to be afraid to, to sin against God's holy majesty and have no remorse and have no concern for the offense that is given to God is the height of folly. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool who lives with no fear of God or dread of offending his holy majesty. Pharaoh's an example of that. 
one who had no fear of God, when Moses came to him and declared to him the Lord's commands and said, you must let the people go, Pharaoh replied, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. His refusal to fear God brought great judgment upon him and the people that he ruled over. God says, the fear of me is something that should be a part of our lives, that of, that of listening, that, of, that of, of not wanting to offend his majesty and wanting then to, to be in awe of all that he's done. Who does God delight in? He delights in those who fear him, the psalmist says in Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. He delights in those who are amazed at him and are ready to listen to his word and to submit to him. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Brothers and sisters, we need to be fortified by this truth that we might not forget that God is not to be ignored, that God is to be obeyed, to be awed by him when we consider that the holy God wants to draw near, us to draw near to him, though we are sinful. We stand in awe when we consider what he has done in the redemption of us. Love is so great that he sent his only son to die for us that we might not perish but have everlasting life, that we would be saved from his just wrath against our sin. He does not draw the redeemed sinner near only to destroy, but to show his ways more clearly, to proclaim the word to us, to lead us to live more nearly to him. What an amazing thing that we can come near to God, to know that he wants to speak to us and to lead us. That God, who is infinitely superior to us in worth and Dignity would bring us near, should fill us with a reverent awe. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of his majesty, his power, of his wisdom, of his justice and mercy, especially in Jesus Christ, in his life and his resurrection. To have an exalted view, an appropriately exalted view of God. And then to respond appropriately as we'll, as I said, look at for, as we move forward in our study. But who do we stand in awe of today? Young people, who do you stand in awe of? Is it athletes? Is it musical artists? Is it celebrities? I, I remember a time we lived right in the corner in, in New Jersey. We lived right in the corner next to an Exxon, uh, next to a gas station. And there was one Sunday where the kicker from the New York Giants was there signing autographs. And the line was down the street. And they sat there for hours and hours and hours get an autograph. And I thought to myself, I, I, I hope the food's good. But I, I couldn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand why they would be so keen on meeting a football player and have no interest in coming to hear from the Lord. What, what do we stand in awe of today? 
our, our, our deepest awes to be reserved for our holy God. Yet we can recognize uh, giftedness in individuals. We can marvel at what, what humanity is able to accomplish. But our awe is to be reserved for God alone. They're our deepest awe. And our greatest priority and our greatest joy is to be wanting to meet with him, to worship him. When we begin to understand his goodness and greatness, we are stirred to worship. When his spirit works fear of him in us, it doesn't doesn't pull us away, it doesn't draw us away from him, lead us to flee from him, but rather brings us near. The more we learn of him, the more amazed we become in all that he does. Paul sets that before us in his letter to the Ephesian Christians when he's, he's singing doxology to the Lord and he says, he has brought you near. And he says, I pray for you, Ephesians, that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. That, he says, is what I want for you. That you would stand in awe of that. That the maker of the universe would have you draw near to sing his praises, to live for his glory. When the Spirit of Christ, who we saw last time is the Spirit of the fear of God, Isaiah 11 verse 3, when the Spirit of Christ enters into us, we begin to see who God is. The more we learn about him, the more majestic he becomes. That You remember if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, the Prince Caspian book, where, where it's been a while since Lucy has seen Aslan, the lion, the, the, the character is a picture of Christ in that book. And, and he, she looks at Aslan and she says, you're bigger. And Aslan says, no, you're, you're older. And, and, and you're growing in understanding of who I am. The older you get, the bigger I become. Is that true for us today? That the more we, we look at God, the t- do we spend time looking at who God is? And then does he grow in magnificence before us? Or do we say, well, when we need him, we know he'll be there. And so we just, we just fly through life and wait until that moment of need. No, indeed, the more we learn of God, the more magnificent he grows. And the more magnificent he grows, the more we ought to praise him. The reason he's so small in the eyes of our culture today is because there are so many who ignore him. Is the fear of God good? Is it good that God gets bigger? The culture thinks, well, that's our problem. The more we think about God, the more preoccupied we are with those things that aren't relevant, with those spiritual matters. What we need is, is more to be done in the world and society. And we say, well, our, we, we need better leaders. But is it true that the more God grows in our minds, the less free we are. That's one of the statements that's made. The less free we, we become, the less inquisitive. They say, well, then we just, everything is faith, faith, faith. Well, that, that, that's, that's a misrepresentation to, to, to think that Christians don't uh, pursue and do empirical study on what they see. Indeed, it's because God is in control. You've heard me say this before. Because God is in control, because we know there's order in the universe, that we can study the world and learn of it. And the more we learn of it, the more, the more amazed we are at what God has done. We'll look at some of those things in, in weeks to come, Lord willing. Is it 
true that when God becomes greater, we become less free. It's from God that we become more informed about what it means to be human, what it means to truly live. As we heard this morning, we are finite. We have limits. To deny them is not good. Freedom is not to reject the boundaries God has created into us. It only brings frustration when we try to push beyond those boundaries. We become slaves to our idols and we become less free to live in the green pastures that God leads us into if we would but listen to him and submit to his word. Look back at Proverbs chapter 1. Listen for what difference it makes to submit to God and his word. To know God and to follow his word gives us instruction for wise dealing, verse 3 says. It's that we might receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. Those terms needing to be defined by God's word. Any good law that is written must have its foundation in the righteousness that God sets before us. What he says is right and good. The justice of the law also in keeping with the patterns and the decrees that God has declared in his word. The equity of them, of those laws and equity in the culture. How needful isn't that in our culture today where that word equity is thrown around today and so misunderstood, so fluid in definition. Verse 4 says, Beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it gives prudence to the simple. It helps us to govern ourselves according to reason. How needful that is in our day of irrationality. It gives prudence to the simple, that we would know how to govern ourselves. When we turn away from the Lord, just how quickly things devolve. Verses 5 and 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. It's, it's guidance, it's direction to understand a proverb and a saying, to understand those things which are, are difficult to understand or which have a deeper meaning. The words of the wise and their riddles to look more deeply, to teach that to our children, to submit to God and His Word is good. It's life-giving, it's life-directing, it's life-sustaining. His word keeps us strong so that we can be, we continue to speak to a sick and dying world. It's been said that Christians are the, to be stabilizers in society, God-fearing, trustworthy, truth-tellers, salt and light. Remember me talking about the book, The Wisdom Pyramid, that gets at the importance of, it gets at the importance of taking in God's word to stay healthy and engage. Well, it's, it's in the church library. And I'd encourage you to look into that. There's many good tools there. First and foremost, we keep God's word before us. And that's the, the point of the book. What is the, what is the most important? What is most needful? What do we need to take in most? It is the word of God. There's so much information that comes at us today. It's more important, it seems, today than, than ever to discern between what we're listening to, what voices we're hearing 
Fear of God is the soul of godliness. As we close then tonight, just that, just that thought, John Murray says this, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. This means that the fear of God is the animating principle behind our living. It's the principle of godly living. It's the wellspring of all godly desires and aspirations. If we desire to be godly people, then we must understand and grow in the fear of God. What, a, what an opportunity we have to come here and to hear the word and to have Bible studies throughout the week and to have cadets and to have kingdom seekers and all of these opportunities to be in God's word, provided at different parts of the day throughout the week, from week to week, that we might learn together, that we might grow, that we might say, okay, enough. I don't need to have the TV on in the background and just listen to how, how horrible things are and how they're going to be fixed by this person or that organization but rather to set before us the Word of God and to grow together. What a wonderful blessing. And to grow in awe of God leads to a change in our lives. Properly fearing God, writes Jerry Bridges in his book, The Joy of Fearing God. Properly fearing God is more than just a feeling or attitude. It's a feeling or attitude that changes our lives. It affects every area of our lives and determines the way that we live, as we'll see moving forward. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 1? He says, we are to live our lives here as strangers, as aliens. Not so familiar that, that we become uh, uh, wrapped up into the world's way of thinking. We're to live as strangers here in reverent fear before the Lord. We want to to tell others about the Lord, that they might know him and that we might also know him better as we see him working through the proclamation of the truth. We want to see those things as we move forward, thinking about the fear of the Lord and getting that word before others. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is fools who despise wisdom and instruction. Well, let's pray that God would help us to do that. Let's turn to him now. Lord in heaven, we recognize that you are not only in heaven, but you are over all creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working, directing, sustaining. And Father, you, through your Son, gather, protect, and preserve a people for yourself, the church. She might go forth and proclaim the truth. And you send your spirit to transform hearts and minds, to hear and to become wise. We think of the awe that we are to have of you and the fear that we are to have of sinning against you. Help us to have that balance, that right understanding. And as we move forward in this study, help us to see your majesty more clearly, that as you grow in our understanding, that we might grow in our love for you and our awareness that in you we are safe, we are protected, in you we are led in all situations. We pray that you would hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.